you know, as doctors, we need to do our due diligence in letting women know about the side effects and the potential long-term consequences of using hormonal birth control. Welcome back to the Whole Mamas Podcast. We're here to give you the tools, resources, and evidence-based information so that you can make the best decisions for yourself and your family. Whether you're trying to conceive or navigating life with a toddler or a teenager, we've got you covered. I'll quickly introduce myself, my co-host, and our guests, and then we'll dive into the good stuff. I'm Stephanie Gerinke, registered dietitian and program director of Whole30's Whole Mamas Club. My co-host is Dr. Ilana Romel, pediatric naturopathic doctor and founder of Nourish Medical Center. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Jolene Brighton, a functional medicine naturopathic medical doctor and the founder of Rubus Health, a women's medicine clinic that specializes in women's hormones. You're going to love the energy and passion Dr. Brighton has around the topic of post-birth control syndrome, which is something that's not often discussed in conventional medicine circles. But this is something we'd all benefit from learning about to support our health and the ones that we love. If it's not clear in this interview, please know that we're not saying birth control is bad or make you feel disempowered in any way if you've been on it or are currently on it. Our goal is simply to help let you know some of the considerations so that you can make the best decision. I'm grateful that I have the option to use birth control pills. I use them for 10 years and I'm glad that I now know the risks and the benefits so that I can choose whether or not it's something I wanna use and if I do choose to use it, I'm able to support my body's detoxification systems and make sure I'm replenishing the nutrients that birth control depletes. So keep your head up, sister, and know that we'll be back next week on our interview recap to break down some of Dr. Jillian Brighton's key points and make sure you leave this conversation feeling supported. All right, let's welcome Jillian to the show. Dr. Brighton, I'm so excited to have you on the show because you're somebody who I've been following for years and I personally look up to as a mentor. You're grounded, you have a powerful voice for women's health, you're ridiculously smart, and yet you keep it super real. So welcome to the show. I can't wait to share you with our community. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And you know, it's it's funny because we, we do these interviews and there's a lot that happens in the online space and people see on social media. And I don't think people really connect that some of us actually know each other in the flesh. And so we actually took our kids to the Monterey Bay Aquarium together years ago and and hung out at the aquarium. So I'm really excited to have this conversation because we've been having conversations offline like forever. And now we're finally like recording one online to share with everyone else. I know. I can't believe it's taken us this long to reconnect too after that. (laughs) Just been so busy with everything. But, um, you know, you're up to so many amazing things. And I don't even, there's so much that I want to share from you, but today we're going to talk about post-birth control syndrome. I know what originally drew me to your work was your emphasis on thyroid health during pregnancy, specifically autoimmune disorders. And that's something that not a lot of doctors fully understand or recognize. And when I was personally navigating postpartum thyroiditis and doing a ton of research for that, that was something that you were my go-to resource and trusted source on better understanding. So we're definitely gonna have to nerd out about that. But today (laughs) we're gonna talk about post-birth control syndrome, which is something you're really leading the industry in discussing. Yeah, it's a funny thing like that. I'm a, I I don't know, trendsetter. I don't know the right term, but you know, with postpartum thyroiditis, you know, I developed that myself. And so it was something that when I saw the gap in medicine, how I wasn't taught about it to the extent that I really should have been and how my providers were treating me, I was like, we have to get awareness around this. More women need to be in the know because it really impacts women's lives in such a significant way. It's not just their life, but it's their children's life, their family life. I mean, it's really far reaching. And the same is true of post-birth control syndrome. And it's really funny because so many people have said, wow, you were leading the charge on all this postpartum care and the fourth trimester, like, you know, and, and all of that. And then, you know, now I'm in the post-birth control syndrome world. And now they're like, you're leading the charge on that of things that people haven't heard of. And it's really, you know, to the credit of my patients who have taught me so much and so many things that I've observed. And in a lot of ways, it made sense because I was working with new moms and women uh, who were, you know, in their childbearing years. And then they were done having kids for a period of time or done altogether. 
whatever, and then moving into the contraceptive space, or they were on contraceptives and then found themselves unable to have children when they came off of it. And so this is something I'm really passionate about. And it's a, it's hilarious to me that, you know, I actually had post birth control syndrome while I was in medical school. It was when I was sitting in medical school, my first year learning about the menstrual cycle for like, I don't know, I want to say like the 10th time, it was probably the third time. And it was really interesting to me that when we got into the fertility pieces where so much emphasis was put on, your egg is only alive for like one day. You've only got this six day window like out of the month where you can get pregnant. And I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I'm popping this pill every single day and I can't get pregnant every single day. Like it never occurred to me. I felt really betrayed in that. And I was just like, I cannot believe this. And so I came off of it. I was not sexually active at the time, little TMI, but that's how I roll. And so I was like, I'm just going to come off of it. And when I did, oh my gosh, like I, you know, at 14, I had started my period. They were horrific. They were like seven days long or, or sometimes 10 days. They were super painful, but they were always 28 days. And to come off of it, to lose my period altogether, to develop cystic acne for the first time in my life, um, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I leaned on my background in nutritional biochemistry. So I'm a super big nerd, first degree in chemistry, next degree in nutritional biochemistry before getting a medical degree. And thank goodness I was in medical school. You know, I was in naturopathic medical school. So, you know, in naturopathic medical school, we're learning pharmacology and we're learning conventional medical treatments at the same time that we're learning things like herbal medicine and more nutritional therapy and how to use, you know, what, what gets called the fringe or the alternative medicine in conjunction with that. And so I really, I had to lean on all of that to pull myself out of what is now so clearly post-birth control syndrome. But in that time, I thought I was a freak. I thought I was the only one. My gynecologist was like, just go back on the pill. Like your period's not even necessary. Like why are you even worried about this? Oh, and PS, you probably have PCOS. And I was like, no, I just learned about PCOS in my pathophysiology class. And this is not PCOS. Like that's, that's not possible given my symptoms. But it was really my patients who started coming to me, sharing their story. I was able to you know, stand back, observe them, try some of the same things with them that I really came to understand that I was experiencing post-birth control syndrome. And clinically speaking, the majority of women struggle to break up with hormonal birth control. And it's astounding to me that only now... And I feel like I'm shouting from the rooftops about this. And like people are starting to recognize this, but it's a lot because of the same, the same dogma, the same stereotypes that happen with new moms. They happen in women's medicine across the board. So new moms with thyroid disease, they get ignored because they're told being a mom sucks and you're going to be tired and you're going to feel this way. And it's kind of the same thing when you come off of the pill or you stop that patch or you pull that IUD is that doctors are like, yeah, welcome to being a woman, being a woman's sucks. Like your hormones betray you. Your body betrays you. The only way to feel normal is with pharmaceuticals. And that's a really big disservice in women's medicine. And so I really set out to educate women about post-birth control syndrome. I'm a very impatient person. So um, I've written a book, which is like, okay, so you have to be patient to write a book, putting the medicine in women's hands, because I know it's going to take decades for medicine to really change for the better. And so the way I see that we can really you know, move the needle and move things forward is if we empower women and we educate them to go to their provider, to demand better, and to be a living testament of what's possible so that we can break that norm, so to speak, which, you know, that old story is what I like to call it, the old story of women's medicine and introduce them to the new story, which is your hormones totally rock. The fact that you have period means you have a superpower and that you can feel amazing in your body and actually leverage these hormones to your benefit. I love that so much about you. I mean, from day one, you've really taken the information and told yourself and told the people that you work with and really everybody in your community that you don't have to accept status quo and that your concerns should not be brushed off as, well, that's normal, or you're a new mom, or you know, you're going to be cranky or you're going to have irregular periods. Like, no, that's not okay. Let's keep looking for answers. And I think because you have that personal experience navigating these issues, I know you talked about your autoimmune condition, Hashimoto's, and how that happened after the birth of your son. Like you've been very open about that. And that just helps us really understand where you're coming from and feel empowered to also not accept status quo. 
Totally. You know, I appreciate you saying all that. And at the same time, you know, I think it's important that we share our stories. So one is when you share your story, it's actually healing for yourself. Like for me, you know, I missed out on a year with my child because I was struggling with a chronic disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis that nobody had diagnosed or was paying attention to. And I lost her in a year with my son, but it's something that I'm like, I can share my story. I can share this information and I can take, you know, is it still is, it is heartbreaking. I, you know, I'm not going to front in any way with that. But at the same time, if we share our stories, it is something that can help other women heal. And so that's the other piece. I really encourage women to share their stories as often as possible because we feel really isolated. We feel really alone. If you're like me, you feel like you're a freak or the only one when you come off the pill and suddenly nothing's right because no one's ever talked about it before. And I think as we you know, there's been this stigma that you shouldn't talk about your period. You shouldn't talk about these things. And now we're seeing that really that conversation is shifting. And I think this is what's going to change women's health for the better. So I encourage all women, share your story, share what's possible. You know, as a doctor, I can all day, every day be like, you can heal your body. (laughs) Really when another woman you know, here's another woman's story who they did heal their body, that they finally believe what what is possible and what's true for them. And, you know, that is so much of the healing potential is belief in yourself and your ability. Amen, sister, for sure. It's all about bio-individuality and looking at like what is going on with the person, what is their situation, and getting the right labs to really understand what's going on. Totally. And it's something that, um, it's really not that hard to do. Um, it's just a matter, it's going to be hard to find a doctor who will do it. Yes. Yes. Like you, like you're able to do it for your clients and your patients. So what is the current state of hormonal birth control? How many women is this affecting right now? You know, this is like, this is pretty mind blowing. I remember um, when I started to look at like how many women could potentially be affected by the side effects of birth control. And so right now, currently there's about a hundred million women worldwide using hormonal birth control. It's estimated 11 million of them are in the United States alone. And the thing that I found most startling is that more than half of the women, so almost 60%, there have been some estimates to say as much as 65% use hormonal birth control for symptom management. So symptom suppression really rather than just pregnancy prevention. So they're pri- so that, that might be the benefit to it, but their primary reason for starting these hormones are because of period problems and acne and heavy periods. And what's most troubling is things that have a root cause. So polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, these women get prescribed the pill at such a high rate. And if we look at what's really the root cause of PCOS, well, it's inflammation and blood sugar dysregulation. And I talk a lot about this in my book, Ditch the Pill, that hormonal birth control actually induces inflammation and blood sugar dysregulation. I mean, to the point where a new study that just came out in 2018 is now showing that if you've been on hormonal birth control for six months or more in your lifetime, you're at about a 35% increased risk of developing diabetes when you enter menopause. Like that is scary to me, but it's also something too that, you know, when we use hormonal birth control to treat a symptom without asking why that symptom is there. So I'm not shaming anybody. I did the pill for 10 years. So I'm not shaming anybody if they're like, I want to get some relief from my symptoms. But the reality is, is it delays the diagnosis of PCOS, of endometriosis, of other of thyroid conditions. I mean, how many patients I've had who had irregular periods, like starting at 16, their doctor put them on the pill. I see them at, you know, decades later. And this is really scary. I see them at like 36. I'm like, wait a minute. You, you sounds like you were hypothyroid. Yeah, I was freezing cold. I was losing my hair. My skin was dry. My periods became irregular. And their doctor thought they were fine because they put them on the pill. Now they're having this withdrawal bleed. So ladies, listen up. The bleed that you have on the pill is not a period. It's withdrawal from a medication. And your doctor is probably confused on that because we needed to change education in medical schools on women's health like 20 years ago, like yesterday already. So you know, with that, that's something that's a big concern for me is that we shouldn't be using hormonal contraceptives to mask symptoms because there's some long-term consequences to 
to that. And, you know, that woman deserves to, to know. She needs to know not only um, the side effects that happen, but also why her body is behaving in the way that it is. Because these symptoms are a sign. They're basically cellular signals that something's wrong. And it's up to each one of us to listen to that. Oh, those are such great points. I know I am in that camp too. I was on hormonal birth control. And when my husband deployed, I was like, there's no reason for me to be on this. You know, six years ago, I didn't know as much about the impacts of birth control, but I knew it probably wasn't good, right? So when he was going to deploy, I got off of it and my period just didn't come back. And so this topic is really interesting to me because my period didn't come back. And I remember going to doctors and they're like, well, do you want to get pregnant? I'm like, no. They're like, well, then it's not a problem. Come back to us when you want to get pregnant. Totally. Um, And and that's post-pill amenorrhea. And I just want to point out, like it's been documented in research since like the 1970s. So it's not new in medicine. Nope. Nope. And I don't know if they did not have an understanding of how to treat it or they didn't know that it was a problem or what it was. But I, I went to different doctors and I was like, this is a problem. What do I do about it? And it was all pretty much the same answer. Some of them told me that I was too lean. So I needed to eat more and exercise less. Some of them told me that I needed to go back on the pill. Like I got the most ridiculous answers, even from a reproductive endocrinologist who was well-recognized in our area. And so there is a lot of people I'm sure that are listening to this like, oh, I had no idea this was a thing. Oh, totally. And this is so much like I, in in my book, I nerded out um, big time. And I mean, to the point where like my editors were like, we love this, but like, there's some really nerdy stuff in here. And I was like, because I'm expecting clinicians to read this as well. And it is something that like, I mean, I feel like every time I read a study, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. But also, oh my gosh, like, how were we not told this? Because, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to naturopathic medical school. And so my instructors there were very clear about, you know, the fact that like disrupting a woman's natural reproductive system can have some long-term consequences. Now, nobody was talking about post-birth control syndrome. I just made it up. <laughs> I'm like, I just like, we got to call this something. You know, nobody was talking about that. There was no protocols around that. And so it's been something that like, you know, it, I have, I'm really grateful to my patients who've come to me, who trusted me. Like I got the reputation of being the doctor who would just listen. And I remember women being, coming to my office, they had the IUD place. Now they had a new onset diagnosis of anxiety. They were being offered another medication and nobody was questioning like what's going on with birth control. And Part of the issue is that we can all acknowledge and um, absolutely like pay you know our respects to the fact that hormonal birth control is why like I'm a doctor is why like we have been able to advance um, as women in our careers and our education and all of that and so you know people have been afraid to like you know shine the light on hormonal birth control and start to question it because there are some schools of thought that feel like it's disempowering to women or it's anti-feminism like I have been called everything under the sun talking about this topic but the reality is is that you know the way I view it is that the new feminism and what's part of it is really understanding your body and your options so well that at the end of the day, you are confident that you made the best decision for yourself. And I think that it is time that we start asking these questions. I mean, blindly following, you know, medical recommendations or pharmaceutical interventions without a question of why is it's downright dangerous in women's medicine. So, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about this topic and because there's so many women like you who lose their period and it goes like this. Are you going to die? No. Do you want a baby? No. All right. Get back on the pill. And I absolutely respect my, you know, conventionally trained colleagues. I think that they serve a very necessary and integral role in healthcare. But right now, you know, their education is telling them they they can only like those are the only options for women, and it's something that like it, it's got to change. But again, I mean, it's going to change through conversations like this, and we've seen you know medical gender bias. Uh, there's more and more research coming out about it. 
doctors bring a bias into the treatment room. Women get treated differently. They get dismissed with pain at a higher rate. I mean, there are a lot of ways that we're not treated fairly and it's not on the conscious level. So your doctor's not trying to do wrong by you by any means, but it's just very deep rooted in medicine. And it's something that medical schools are now working towards changing, which thank goodness. But as you know, and I know, like we've been in this game long enough to be like, this is going to take a while. Like it's going to take a while before we see these changes happen. And you know, the thing I always frame to people is like, there, there's a trend in medicine and it usually goes with like anything new. The first thing that happens is it's dismissed, even though the woman sitting in front of you is telling you this is absolutely real. And, you know, we've seen this, we've both been in the um, health arena long enough with like leaky gut. Like people were called crazy mm-hmm. for saying leaky gut. And now there's all this research on intestinal hyperpermeability and it's well recognized in, you know, causing autoimmune disease. But there was a time where if you were trying to heal leaky gut, you said leaky gut, or you gave a patient probiotics, like you were a crazy person, you were selling snake oil or like, you know, and we should all be skeptical. I'm not saying don't be a skeptic, but also, you know, if anything, like, you know, it's sounding, if you're like listening to stuff and you're like, wait, that's making more sense to me, pay attention, do your own research, have conversations with other providers because medicine doesn't know everything. I mean, we are still discovering anatomical structures and how long <laughs> dissecting the human body, like forever people. So it is something that like, you know, coming from a science background first has really made it to where like my foundation is stay humble and stay curious. And if we have more of that in medicine, then we will change things for the better a whole lot quicker for people. And we'll be open. Like having curiosity is a good thing. Being dogmatic is never a good thing. And it's something that like so often I'll hear people be like, well, in evidence-based medicine, we proved this. And I'm like, well, that's funny because science never proves anything because to prove something is to close the door, to say it's an open and shut case and that you won't be open to any new information. And that's a bias and bias doesn't belong in science. Yeah. I, I think it's so important to bring this information to your provider. Like let's say your conventional provider dismisses you with mine. They all did, but I had a, the reproductive endocrinologist. I felt like I may be able to help him understand it a little bit better based on the research that I was reading. And I actually brought him studies and I sat down with him and I'm like, look, like based on my symptoms, based on what I'm reading here, I think this might be hypothalamic amenorrhea. And he was like, oh, well, this is interesting. He actually looked at it with me. We ran the right labs. And sure enough, like we were able to come to that conclusion together. And now he can use that information in the future with clients that he sees are presenting with similar cases. And so you just never know. And if you do get the feeling like, let's say you are speaking up for yourself and you bring these things to your provider and they dismiss you, well, that's a pretty good sign that provider may not be the right fit for you if they're not willing to listen to your concerns like you do so well with your clients um, and really hear what they have to say and try to spend some time understanding what they don't know. Totally. And the, I mean, and the thing is, is that your doctor's not bad. They're not out no. to get you. They don't hate you. Like there's all these stories get spun where it's like, right. your doctor works for you and go in there and tell him what to do. And I'm like, that is <laughs> yeah. the fastest way to have any human shut down listening to you. Like at the end of the day, your doctor is a human. And so yep. just like, you know, if you yell at your child, they stop listening. Like they mm-hmm. can help it because they go into fight or flight response. The brain works differently in that way. But to understand like as doctors, we all know we're not, it's not a one, like we're not the best fit. I'm not the best fit for everyone. Like certainly there are people like I am straight talk, lay it on you. And I will not like, I will not hold your hand and be like, Oh, it's, you know, let me baby step you through the whole process as your, as your cheerleader, because it's just not my strength. And so I'm not a jerk by any means. <laughs> there's just a certain personality type that really jives with me, like in clinical practice. And, you know, there, and then I, that's actually why I have um, health coaches and nutritionists as part of my practice, because I'm like, my, I am, I used to be a group fitness instructor and my, I was very much like, if you're here and you're in this room with me, you're here to do the work. Either you're all in or you're all out. That doesn't work so well in medicine. And that's how a lot of doctors are, which is why we need adjunct providers as well who can do that handholding and can do that extra, you know, finesse that really gets people to follow through. And so 
it's just recognizing that like, I also am I'm just very straightforward and like telling it like it is. And some people need a different communication style and I can try very much to step into that communication style. But at the end of the day, I'm probably going to be me. And if you don't jive with me, that's okay. I want to help you get with someone that you do jive with. But you know, to your point, I really love that you illustrated that very much, you know, you can teach your provider. And I think this is such an important thing because this is what uh, I very much like, you know, with my book and the work that I do um, in the online space is I try to teach women how to talk to their doctors and also how to track their data and start healing themselves so that they can be that living proof to their doctor and evidence. And I have had so many patients that their doctor's like, look, you're going to be on this medication for life or there's no way that you can do this or you're never going to get pregnant. And then they, you know, prove them wrong in a sense. But when they do that and they go back to their doctor, they show them what's possible. Like they just were a living testimonial to what is possible and it can shift and change that provider's mind. And so I love that you brought studies, you, you had this partnership because it's something that, you know, people will get discouraged quickly, but you know, there aren't a lot of providers who are open. Like, look, you guys, everybody listening, like if you knew what it was like to become a doctor, you would know that like nobody gets in it uh, for any other reason, but a genuine interest in helping people. Like I tell people mm-hmm. all the time, like doctors do not go into as much debt as they do. They don't miss out on a decade or more of actually living their life, being with family and friends, um, you know, going through the rigors of education and medical school so that they can come out and, you know, not do their best job with you. That's not, it's not why they went into it. It's just something that, you know, we have to together, I mean, patients and doctors and, you know, all providers, this is something I'm very passionate about. I think healthcare teams are really the future. Like we need, you can't rely on just one doctor. It's how medicine kind of got us in trouble in the first place is that we were like, one doctor will be everything to us for every little thing that we need. And it's like, well, that worked about 50 years ago, but now we know so much and it's, we live in a much more toxic environment. It's so much more nuanced that we really do need to have a healthcare team. Like you need to have the experts in nutrition, like yourself, like you need to have the experts in reading and interpreting labs. Like you need a doctor because their job is to make sure that you're not going to die. That's a very important ally to have. But you know, at the same time, like we also need the farmer to be on board in all of this because they're growing our food and that absolutely influences our health. And so I think really that is the future of medicine is having every everybody having a seat at the table. And that includes the patient as well. So we can really shape and change medicine in a way that serves at a higher level. Your rants are so good. It's My husband, I'm like, <laughs> that guy, he hears me rant so much. And he just... <laughs> just usually laughs at me, especially when it's like, uh, if somebody like says something messed up to my patients, like that's something, I'm a Latina, I get set off and I'm just like, I got to tell you all this stuff and I can't believe this happened. And he just cracks up. He's, he's like, man, the way you like fight through your patients, he's like, I like, I, it's unbelievable to watch sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. And that just shows how much you are listening to them and you're invested in them getting better as much as they are, right? Which is really how it should be. Totally. Let's talk about the pill. So <laughs> so let's say somebody gets off the pill. When can they reasonably expect their period to come back? Like everybody's different, right? But when should we start being concerned that you know, maybe there's issues or when are symptoms presenting in the clients that you see and in the research? Yeah. So, so here's the thing is that, you know, the standard medical approach is that if you come off the pill, you experience post-pill amenorrhea, that's the loss of your period. Then if you had a regular period, so let's just say it's every 28 days, every 30 days, whatever was normal for you, you got on the pill and you get off, your period should come back after three months. If not, you should investigate. You know, if you had an irregular period before starting the pill, and really any hormonal contraceptive this applies to, then we expect like in six months period of time. And so medicine will say after six months, 
start the investigation. In my clinical practice, uh, I'm like, if your period doesn't come back, let's start investigating. Let's like, let's start uh, some interventions so that we can move things along. And you know, definitely, I recommend women start investigating after three months because that's something that I'm like, six months is too long. Especially if why are women coming off of these hormones for the most part? A lot of them want to get pregnant. So six months, that's too long because it's six months. Then it's like six months of working this woman up and trying things. And now we're a year out. And so I always think if you think something's not normal, something's not right in your body, start investigating sooner than later. Now with post-birth control syndrome, the average of when I see symptoms really come up. So post-birth control syndrome, like every syndrome in medicine, it means that it's a collection of symptoms. So just like irritable bowel syndrome, which we've, we've seen be iterated on more and more and more. Now there's all these subsets of IBS. You might have diarrhea, you might have constipation, you might have alternating diarrhea, constipation. Like there's all of these kind of different gut symptoms that can go with it. Post birth control syndrome is a little more tricky because you know the, the story of medicine goes that you take the pill or you use this hormonal birth control and it only affects your ovaries and your uh, reproductive system. Except that we know that <laughs> your natural hormones affect all of your systems in your body. So why wouldn't the synthetic one do the same? And so with that, you know, women with post-birth control syndrome, they typically present about four to six months after coming off of hormonal birth control. I've seen women sooner than that. I've seen women later than that. So understand that's just an average. And, you know, with that in mind, those symptoms can be like acne. So that's something I experienced. Post-pill acne is very common. It's due usually to an androgen rebound. And so I talk a lot about this in my book because this is the one that drives everybody back on to birth control because they're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to like have acne. And I hear that and I feel that. But at the same time, that is a very safe way for your body to say, girl, listen up. You need to go deeper with this. Something's going on. So there's you know the acne that could come up. Women can have pill induced PCOS. So it looks a lot like PCOS, but it's not truly PCOS. Um, there can be thyroid issues, adrenal issues that are brought on. So, you know, this, this hormonal birth control is messing with your brain. It's messing with binding proteins. It's inflammatory. So hello, autoimmune diseases. It can affect your gut. You can have gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, SIBO coming up, yeast overgrowth, yeast, yeast vaginitis coming up. And we know that the pill induces leaky gut. So there's food sensitivities and everything that goes along with that. And, you know, then there are, you know, some of the other symptoms that are, you know, they can be a little more outliers like joint pain. Um, so that's one that like, I don't see as often, but it definitely can happen. Hair loss is a really big threat. Some women get on hormones, they lose their hair, they get off, they start losing their hair. So that definitely warrants investigation. And so, you know, I don't want to freak anybody out. There are definitely things that you can do about this, but I think it's something that, you know, as doctors, we need to do our due diligence diligence in letting women know about the side effects and the potential long-term consequences of using hormonal birth control. And you know, you may have heard of stroke. It's interesting to me that stroke, heart attacks, and cancer are the three big ones that women are always most afraid of on hormonal birth control. They don't always get told by their doctor that these are risks that increase with them. And often it's because they started it at 19. The odds of having a stroke or heart attack at 19 is really low unless you have genetic variations, which I outline all in my book. Like before you pop that pill, I want you to get these tests done because maybe you uh, have a family history. You actually have a genetic predisposition to having a stroke. Now you start the pill. I don't care if you're 19. Do you know? Like I have seen um, women who at 19 had a pulmonary embolism in their 20s, had a heart attack. Like just because it's not common, it's not expected, doesn't mean you don't need to be in the know on it. And it's something that we know, like, so heart attacks, for example, we were talking about medical gender bias. Women present differently than men. We actually, uh, there was a study showing, um, that was almost 20 years ago now, showing that women who walked into the ER having symptoms of a heart attack were more often to be sent home. So now put her at higher risk by giving her hormonal birth control and she doesn't even know what to look out for and neither does her doctor. Like that is a recipe for disaster. And so again, like you said before, it's the bio-individuality and I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-birth control. Like if you are like, hey, look, 
I cannot have a baby and this is the best way that I think for my body, then it's really, you know, my position as a physician is to come in and say, okay, let's make sure we're keeping you safe on it. Let's run labs. Let's make sure we got you eating a certain way. Like there's certain lifestyle factors that come into play that can put you at higher risk, that can lower your risk. I mean, shoot, back when I was on the pill and I was like pulling up to the fast food window and eating that and oh my gosh, I'm like, I was on this nutrient depleting medication that was spilling all these nutrients in me and then I wasn't even replenishing them because they thought that like Jack in the Box and Taco Bell like passed his food. It's not food, you guys, just so you know. <laughs> well, it's it's that saying when you know better, you can do better, right? Like totally. you do, yeah, you do whatever you can with what you know. Um, but that's why, you know, your book is just so important and your message is so important so that we can do better and we can take all of the pros and cons and considerations and make the best decision for our family. And all these symptoms and whether that's that you're not getting your period or that you're experiencing hair loss or acne or you are have mood symptoms like depression or anxiety, that means that something's not right, right? So it's just your red flag to really dig deeper and to heal that underlying cause. Totally. And you know, this is something like we were talking before we started recording this and you're actually going to be part of our event is this a big reason why I'm hosting the first ever post-birth control syndrome awareness week. And I just want to say thank you for joining us because it's something that like we really have to raise the awareness around this. Not, not just so doctors will start listening, but also so women don't feel alone, don't feel isolated and can start getting solutions to these issues. Because you know, I, I've said it before, I'll say it a hundred times again, but like what you put at the end of your fork, how you talk to yourself every day, your movement, like all of these things have a tremendous impact on your health. And in a lot of ways, they're more powerful than the pharmaceuticals that are out there, depending on what you have going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of those things? Like what can we do? Um, what are the things that you're going to be talking about on the summit? Oh man. So during the awareness week, we have so much great information. So we've got, um, people lined up to talk about skin. So, so that you can prevent and, uh, treat your acne naturally talking about some root causes for that eczema, psoriasis, the weird skin stuff that comes up for women on birth control or when they come off of it. So we're focusing on birth control side effects. So if you're on it now, what you can do to lower those side effects. We're also focusing on post-birth control syndrome. So what can you do after hormonal birth control? And so we've got great speakers too talking about testing. And so how to get the right tests to know what's going on, how to troubleshoot if your period hasn't come back, how to troubleshoot if your period's super heavy and painful. Um, we've got experts talking about the link between hormones and Lyme's disease, mold um, exposure. Also looking at like, why do women develop chronic illness when they start hormonal birth control? And and we also have uh, a lot of information about libido because that's a, like every woman listening to this has ever been on hormonal birth control knows that it like the way it works best in preventing babies is killing your libido like crazy. <laughs> and in the research, in the research, uh, there's we need deeper research on this. But some of the preliminary research is like, yeah, it doesn't look like um, that those the mechanisms that happen that you can actually change those. Yay for epigenetics because clinically I've seen you absolutely can and you can get your libido back. So we're talking about libido. We're talking about fertility. We're talking about how to avoid pregnancy if you don't want to have a baby and how to get pregnant if you do want to have a baby and like the best ways to go about that. So we're really covering an array of women's health topics, but it really all centers on why do we get on hormonal birth control and how can we give women tools so that they don't need that for their symptoms? How can we teach them that their symptoms mean something and it, it, that they can do something about them. And then for the woman who is on hormonal birth control, I'm equally passionate about keeping her safe and, you know, protecting her. And I think back to like, you know, the 10 years that I was on the pill and I'm like, I wish someone would have told me to take a multivitamin. Um, instead I was studying nutrition and they were like, multivitamins, whatever. If you eat good food, then don't even worry about it. And like, I, now I'm like, eh, I really wish I was on a multivitamin for that. Um, and you know, just the other things to look out for. And so 
So, and so we'll also be talking about cardiometabolic issues. So we'll be, you know, talking about mitochondrial health, like losing weight, why, you know, hormonal birth control can sabotage weight loss or why we gain weight when we're on it. And, you know, what impacts this can have on our brain health, our cardiovascular health, our gut health. Like, so, you know, anybody listening that's part of your audience probably knows we're going to talk a lot about gut too, because that plays such a crucial role in all of this. So this is a project I'm super passionate about. You know, it's something that I set out and I was like, I need to get 25 experts to talk to. And now we've got, I believe we're at over 35 now. And I keep getting people like, and I'm just like, I'm so grateful for this that I keep getting messages from practitioners who are like, I heard you're raising awareness around birth control related issues and post birth control syndrome. I'm passionate about this. I want to be a part of this. I want to help change women's medicine. And it is amazing. So if any woman's like, oh, there's no good doctors out there. Oh my gosh. There are so many healthcare practitioners who are putting their hands up and saying, I want to be a part of this movement. It's time we start this conversation. And um, I just want to say, I'm super grateful to my patients and my online community because it was it was really their idea and they didn't even know it that they kept messaging me and saying thank you so much for raising awareness about post birth control syndrome and um, my husband will testify that like I lay in bed at night and I sometimes this is so like I'm I'm out myself here but I will lay there and I'll be like am I doing enough could I do better and I'll be just telling him my ideas of like what can I do to really help women and like, what, how, what can I do to change women's medicine? And this was something that like, we were laying in bed one night and I was talking through that and I was like, you know, I'm so grateful how many messages I get of women saying, I finally know what's going on. I finally know what I can do about it. And like, thank you so much for raising awareness about post-birth control syndrome. And I was like, oh my gosh, we should have a post-birth control syndrome awareness week. Like let's set a week, let's educate, let's empower, and let's like really like all of us together come together so we can change women's medicine for the better because it's never going to change by you or me saying women's medicine needs to change and it needs to be better. Like it really, no, it's going to be the patients. It's going to be the women who change this and who really inspire and change the world as a whole. And like, we'll be, a part of that, that like I say it all the time, like I can stand on a soapbox with, you know, a megaphone all day and be like, we need to change this, but it's not going to change that way. Like it's going to change by the women that we educate so that they can go to their providers. And the way I really see it, you know, how I see every patient in my office is if we can heal one woman, she's like a drop in a pond. And when she's healed and she drops in that beautiful crystal drop, like there's a ripple effect and it touches every person in her life and they take notice. And like, I'm sure you've experienced this as well with clients is that they get better. And then the next thing you know is 10 people are like, I want in on that. Like how, how did that person get better? And that is really how we create change. Oh, totally. And we're seeing that in the food industry right now too, right? Like companies are recognizing that we're catching on to them and we are demanding healthier foods and they have to respond to that, right? If they want to keep sales up and if they want to have a strong company, they have to be a little bit more cautious on what they're putting in their food. So yeah, it happens in a lot of areas. So I'm totally with you on that. But while we're waiting for this awesome, not summit, while this awareness week, (laughs) which I'll put in the show notes, a link to, what are some things that people can do um, while they're waiting to really take action? Let's say they are off the pill, but they're noticing these symptoms or they're on the pill. What are some of your like top tips for them right now? Yeah. Okay. So if you are on the pill now or you've come off it, so if you're on any hormonal birth control, I definitely recommend replenishing nutrient stores. So getting a prenatal vitamin going or getting a multivitamin. And I often recommend a prenatal to women because I, I, you know, in my practice, I test their ferritin, which is a storage form of iron. It's often low in menstruating females. And, you know, that iron is crucial. Uh, We have to, so let me back up and say, Hormonal birth control is messing with the whole gut and it makes it hard to liberate and use minerals um, from your food. And so that iron, um, it's not only helping with periods, but it's also involved in like thyroid hormone and so many other things. And so that's why I often like the prenatal. And because um, what I have found is that, you know, multivitamins are great, but you usually need the higher B vitamins, the higher selenium that you get in prenatals because they're being depleted by those nutrients and your gut is being affected in a way that makes it 
hard to absorb. And this is something that women are always like, well, if I'm having a hard time absorbing my food, then I probably can't absorb supplements, so I shouldn't take them. And I'm like, if you are having a hard time absorbing your food, that is a good time to use supplements because that means you're having a harder time getting at that. And so, you know, if you feel like you're having a harder time absorbing your food, you need to chill. You need to chill out when you eat. You need to chew really well and start cooking your food so that it's easier for your body to break it down and assimilate it. So the other thing is that you should definitely be considering probiotic-rich food or taking a probiotic as well, um, because that is something that if you can take, safeguard your microbiome, that's going to have a big, tremendous impact on not getting chronic yeast infections and improving mood. There's plenty of studies to back that up, but also that maintaining the health of your gut. I mean, that's going to impact your entire immune system, which is living in your gut. So it's a very important factor in all of that. So wherever you are in your hormonal birth control history, you want to do a liver detox. And I actually have, you can go to drbrayton.com slash PBCS diet. That's the post-birth control syndrome diet. So you can grab that. It's a freebie that talks to you about the foods that you need to eat and really outlines what to do. A food-based detox and also if you want to use supplements with that, if you are on hormonal birth control, you need to be t putting yourself through like a good two-week detox. Um, and that doesn't mean any crazy juice fast or anything like that. It's like, get your cruciferous vegetables up, make sure you're doing good, healthy detox practices. And you're going to want to do that about every three to four months because the hormonal birth control has a major impact on your liver. Your liver has to detoxify all of that. And if you are like, yeah, I don't know about that, just recognize then that we didn't diagnose liver tumors at as high rate as we do now until we introduced hormonal birth control. That's how serious this is. If you've come off of hormonal birth control, do that detox. <laughs> so go through that detox now, especially if you have post-birth control syndrome symptoms. And if you're thinking about coming off, I usually say when start that detox now, when you come off, put yourself through it again. And this is what we do. I have a birth control hormone reset program. And this is what we take women through. And we actually, like every single day they get an email from me. Um, I said, I'm not very good at holding hands, but I actually, I'm really good at doing that in this program because I'm like, okay, every single day you need to be on track and know what you can do. Because you know the crazy thing is that, um, so I have a medical practice and then I have this online program. And I've worked with women in my medical practice. I've seen what's possible, but I recognize that not everybody could come see me. I mean, every, women all over the world are experiencing these issues issues. And so I started this program and the craziest outcomes started happening. Crazy good. In that, like, we have women that have lost their period for years at a time. So, with one woman who she had lost her period for four years, her reproductive endocrinologist was like, You're never going to get your period back. You are never going to conceive naturally. She got her period back in a matter of a month in the program. And I was like, Hold up, you did what? And um, it was the same. Like, we have other women, like, we just had a woman yesterday that was celebrating that she had never had a period on her own in her life, like, had been dependent on hormonal birth control to ever have that withdrawal bleed. And she just had her own natural period after just spending a couple of months in the program. And her doctor is like, what did you do? I want to write this down. Like, this is amazing. And so it is something that has really taught me that there are simple things that women can start doing to heal themselves. And part of that is really loving up your liver so well. Its detox capacity is absolutely inhibited while on hormonal birth control. And it is everything for blood sugar balance, for cortisol and, and nourishing your adrenals and for getting your hormones back on track. So you can go check out, oh, my name is tricky. So it's Dr. Brighton is D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash P-B-C-S diet. And that, that free guide has a great starting place for you. So if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling scared, like I never like people to feel scared. I always like them to have the best information, feel empowered, and then be able to take action. So and you're so good at making people feel that way. So, you know, the, when you were talking, one of the things that I was thinking about too is, yes, it's really important that we are getting a cycle every month that we're resolving these underlying issues. But a lot of our population is looking at getting pregnant too. So they get off the pill because they want to get pregnant. And by addressing all of these things, you are not only going to improve your chances of conceiving, but then having just a more healthy, comfortable pregnancy. So the positive 
outcomes and the influence that you have from doing these things just keeps on giving back to you with your pregnancy and then how you feel in the postpartum period and your ability to mother and the reducing your chances of you know developing an autoimmune disease and all of these things. So it's so important that we're addressing this and I'm very grateful that you're doing this work. Well, and I'm very grateful that you are, you're coming on to present on fertility. And so <laughs> I'm really grateful yeah. for, so for everyone who's listening. You definitely want to catch during the awareness week because Steph's going to be sharing all about these fertility issues that can come up and what to do about it. Yes, I'm excited to be on. Just two last questions if you have time for. One of them being, so I really want to talk about, you know, we talked about preconception a little bit. We talked about getting off the pill, but let's say we have moms listening that are, they had their baby. They're at the six week checkup. Their provider is talking about birth control options. What do you say to them about, you know, what they can do to make the best decision? What kind of risks or considerations should go into that choice? I just, I know it can be like you're sleep deprived, you, you don't know what's going on, you're not even thinking about sex probably, and then you're confronted with this big decision that really does have a lot of impacts like we were discussing. So what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that this is a great question because here's the first thing I should say is that fertility awareness method doesn't really work postpartum. Um, it can if you if you work with it, and this I always encourage, and I say this in my book as well. Like if you really want to get serious about fertility awareness method, and especially if like you're a new mom and you have PCOS or any reason you have a regular period, meeting with a fertility awareness educator is everything. But ovulation becomes before menstruation, so I think that's something important for every woman to know because by the time you see your period, you already had ovulated. So keep that in mind. Now, the thing with hormonal birth control is that um, one, your doctor is not going to give you a combination pill if you're breastfeeding. So that means that you won't get a pill with synthetic estrogen and progestin. I want to be very clear, progestin is not progesterone. And progestin itself can actually put you at higher risk for um, stroke and clots. So Serena Williams, I think, really has brought a lot of attention yeah. um, to this in that she had a pulmonary embolism. So she had a blood clot um, postpartum. So if you were on the mini pill, that's going to raise your risk even more. And this is a risk postpartum. And so the progestin-only pill, what's important to understand about that is progestin can and does mess with the female brain. So this is part of why the newer research that's coming out on the mood alterations and the correlation with hormonal birth control is pointing to that it may very well be the progestin that's in there that puts us at suicidal risk. And I mean, this is no joke. Like women, young women who start hormonal birth control, um, that progestin, uh, you know, it's estimated almost three times the risk of suicide in those first few months. And so if you are a new mom with zero community, like most of us, um, you know, I have family, but they didn't live near me. You're already at risk for like depression, anxiety, um, even, you know, uh, suicide, these kinds of things. And so it's really important that if you choose to get on hormonal birth control, that you track your symptoms. And if anything changes or doesn't feel right for you, you get to your doctor and you start bringing up statistics to them and saying like, don't dismiss me because this is a real phenomenon. With that, the progestin only pill, which is the mini pill, the other thing to understand about it is that it's not that effective. In fact, you know, it because it's not so good at suppressing ovulation, like the combination pill, there is still a pretty high chance of pregnancy. And so there's been some estimates to say that like only in 60% of women will it suppress um, ovulations. It's another important thing to keep in mind. Now, providers are um, also often fans of using an IUD like a little bit later in postpartum, recognizing you only have one non-hormonal IUD option, which is the copper IUD, the Paragard. I have patients who do amazing on it. I have patients that it's the worst thing in the world for them. So there is no one size fits all to contraception by no means. And so if you're a new mom and you're like, okay, well, what do I do? Really, one of your best bets is barrier methods. Nobody likes condoms. Nobody likes condoms. You heard it here first. 
<laughs> no, you heard <laughs> it in high school. Um, nobody likes condoms. If they're used correctly, they do have a high rate of efficacy. So they do work and they can safeguard it against pregnancy. The other thing too is that like there's other ways to have sex that don't include penetration. And so that's another thing, you know, to consider not, you know, it doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's something like whenever I'm talking to women about fertility awareness method and they're like, well, my partner doesn't want to use a condom. I'm like, always, it's always so nice that men get to pick and choose. I'm like, oh, that must be so nice. But my partner, and I'm not dissing men, I got a husband and a son. I love me some men. You know, with that, it's something where I'm like, well, then you don't have to have actual intercourse then during that time. Like that's an option as well with that. And so this is a thing that's really important. It's an important conversation to have with your doctor, to understand your risk factors, to understand what you should be looking out for with all of this. And I really recommend that women, if they want to go the fertility awareness method route, um, you know, there's lots of femtech devices out there. So, you know, we've got natural cycles, we've got Daisy, we've got, um, you know, different devices that will actually measure the um, changes of your pH, both oral and vaginally that can predict this. So we've got a lot of femtech out there that can help you with this. But I really think meeting with a fertility awareness educator and, and getting education around that about like, okay, so, you know, how could I use this? What should I be looking for? And, you know, a lot of women get told like, oh, you know, breastfeeding is completely protective against pregnancy. I wish that was true. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> so great, but it's not a hundred percent. You know, I call my family breeders because like I'm the only one in my family who waited until 30 to have a baby who, um, you know, is uh, only has one. Everybody, like, I'm like, you just look at women in my family and they get pregnant. Except my sister, she got pregnant on the pill and then she used fertility awareness method to avoid pregnancy for five years. She decided to get pregnant and she was like, I'm going to get pregnant next month. And I was like, I'm the doctor. I'm like, well, it usually takes the average month of women like six months. And then she was pregnant the next month. And I was like, okay, hold up. You use fertility awareness method? Like, tell me more. It was my little sister who like made me a believer in this. And again, that comes back mm. to that like humility of like thinking you know best, but realizing that like, you know, there's, there are a lot of lessons that we can all learn from each other. That yeah, does that help answer your question? That does. That really does. And it's never too early to start thinking about this too, right? Because you may not be in the right mental state to think about it in the early couple of weeks postpartum. So to really have a thoughtful discussion about it with your partner and to really think through what you want to do, it might be beneficial to think about it even before the baby is born. Totally. Um, yeah. And what about having a vasectomy? I don't know if you know a lot about that, but what is what are your thoughts on that for the partner so yeah. that the woman doesn't have to navigate these things? So I always joke that I'm like, I work with vaginas, not penises. <laughs> um, you know, with vasectomies, so what I will, um, I have this uh, good friend, you guys go on Instagram and find Anthony Yoon. He's a plastic surgeon, but he like wrote this whole rant on Instagram about vasectomies. And I, I lost, it was so hilarious because he was like, tubal ligation is an invasive surgery that women have to like, they have to have anesthesia. They're going into their, um, you know, their pelvic cavity, like their scar tissue. There's, we now know there's, uh, you know, post tubal ligation syndrome. <laughs> that might be my next arena to step into in the future. And so, you know, it's it's really something to look at that, like getting your tubes tied is is an invasive procedure, I and mean, there can be some consequences and side effects with that. Just like anything in medicine, vasectomies are something they're way less invasive, like for sure. But at the same time, there are now, like I've been seeing some kind of like whispers, so to speak, they're not loud enough yet, um, out there talking about that it may alter men's hormones and it may be doing more damage than we've come to understand previously. And so again, this comes down to individual choice and looking at like, you know, what's best for you and your family. It is something it's way less invasive than tubal ligation. But at the same time, like we need research in this area. And I would say, do your research and read up on it and understand like, you know, does this have an impact? Dr. Uh, Gio Espinosa, he is a naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist. He's someone that I will send women over to because he works at, um, like I want to say New York, one of the universities in New York. And I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but he's a urologist there. So he, he specializes in urology 
And so he does, um, he works with a lot of people, uh, a lot of men with prostate cancer and, you know, certainly way more versed in vasectomies than I am. Okay. I'll put his information in the show notes too. I was just curious. Cause I know that's, we, we're thinking about the women guys can do things too. So that like we're seeing, you know, the nail birth control trials keep like it's getting stuck. Oh, yeah. But at oh, the same yeah. time, I'm always like, well, that could work really well. But also at the same time, I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't want to put my son or husband on. Cause, okay, let's just say, let's have some real talks here. Is that <laughs> birth control is shutting down your whole reproductive system. And there's been many of us out there to, that have said, like, this is pretty much like female castration. And you'll hear this on a post-birth control syndrome awareness week that I interviewed Dr. Lara Bryden. She's like, can I say it? I'm like, let's say it because it really is. And that's what it is. And so that's really how male birth control is viewed as well as like, this would be a form of castration. Now, like that is like to men, that's like a, that's a huge thing, but like to women, it's, it's equally, you know, concerning. And so that's why I'm like, you know, I think let's have all the options and let's educate and help people make their own decisions. But at the same time, let's be really real about what's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, before we talk about where we can find you, I want you to answer the question that we usually ask at the beginning, but this time we dove right into the questions, but we usually ask a question, like, what do you, what did you do or what are you going to do today to nourish yourself? Because I think as practitioners, we really need to walk the walk and we need to be able to provide some realistic things that our listeners can do to make sure they're taking care of themselves. It could be as little as doing like a couple of deep breaths or as extreme as going to the spa for the entire day. So what did you do or what are you going to do today to nourish yourself, Dr. Brighton? So this is a great question. I actually want to say that I outed myself um, on my Instagram account about how I had fallen off my self-care. So like I am a workaholic because I love what I do. Mm-hmm. And while I was, I had this like nightmare round of book edits with short deadlines and all this stuff. And it was just, you know, cause we're trying to get all this information out to women and really as, as good as possible. But it was something that like I outed myself that I was like, I mean, my self-care game was on point. And then I fell off. I don't like to say fell off the wagon, but I, I kind of like, I stumbled. I had a heck up. And so I, I like to be really honest about how life goes. And so I actually got on there and I made a commitment that I was like, I'm going to do better. And you guys, I'm, I'm you're going to be my accountability partners in um, all of this. It was only like three weeks of like not practicing my self-care religiously. And then I got like really sick. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. My body, my body was like, check yourself, fool. <laughs> um, so we came down to the central coast of California. It is my husband's grandfather's 100th birthday this weekend. Um, He is a blue zoner um, kind of mentality. So my um, husband's family, they're uh, Seventh-day Adventists, which are, you know, Loma Linda's a blue zone. And I think there's just such a testament because they live, uh, they don't live in Loma Linda, but they practice blue zone living and like a hundred, man. So cool. So we came down here and one way that I, that really like feeds me is uh, my soul is to feed other people. So I come from this big Hispanic family and to love other people is to feed them. And so I made this a simple breakfast of like avocado toast with like eggs and tomatoes and all this stuff going on. But I did that. And then I sat outside with my family, ate in a relaxed environment, enjoying really good company. And that's like how I started my day. And that is something that like, I really like to frame to people because I think so often women are like, self-care means I have to take a bath. I have to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. I have to do all these things. And it's actually like, what feeds your soul? What makes you feel amazing? Like, cooking in the kitchen with my husband and my son to be able to feed our family, to sit down at a table, to have a good meal, a good conversation, sitting outside in nature. I mean, that was, that was everything. And coming down here, like I told you, we did like a 15 hour car trip, but it's something like coming down here. This is also, I graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So I lived here for 10 years, but coming down here and just being able to be with family and be present and all <laughs> I am doing like interviews and all that life doesn't stop 
not because I'm here, but like that is something that I really recognized that I was like, I, I didn't do right by myself for like a good three weeks there. And it, there was no number of baths or deep breaths that were going to like really pull me out of that. Like I really needed to get back to community, um, slow some things down, like spend some time having good meals. And like, we are going to go walk. We are going to have movement. We are going to do deep breathing. I have like all, I brought all kinds of stuff with me because I was in the car to like be able to really care for myself. And so that was a very long winded answer, but it's just to frame it that like just showing up and being present with people you love is an act of self care. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're all going to have those seasons of our life where things are a little bit more chaotic. But what you did was you identify that, okay, this is my busy season, but it needs to stop at some point because I'm starting to get sick and like I need to check myself. And so I think that's like an important reminder to all of us is like, if you haven't been doing these things, okay, that's fine, but let's really start doing them now and identify that this is a season that we need to get back. Totally. Totally. I love that you call it a season. And I think it's especially important for people, for moms and entrepreneurs. Those are the two that are like hustle all day, every day. And I'm like, how quick do you want to get to the grave? Stop that noise right now. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And you're far more productive too, when you take those breaks and you give yourself even just, you know, standing and walking around for a little bit, it can help rejuvenate you. Right. And we can't just be sitting at our desk all day or be doing one thing for a long time. We need to move our bodies and step away. Totally, totally. I 100% agree. All right. So where can we find you? Where are you online? So you can find me at drbrighton.com. It's D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. Tons of articles, free resources there. Definitely go check it out. I hang out most on Instagram and that's at Dr. Jolene Brayton. And then I also have a Facebook page. I actually have a whole Facebook um, online community that you're welcome to join and be a part of. It's where women come and support each other. Um, But yeah, those are the main places where I hang out and you can hear from me. Perfect. And I will put all the links to your awareness week and the doctors that you were discussing and all of that in the show notes. So people can find that information. And thank you so much for your time. You were so generous with that today. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. You know, we were, we were due for, you know, (laughs) I know, I know I'm like an hour. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please help us out by sharing our podcast with your mama friends and writing us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you loved about this episode and help us grow our village. And a huge thank you to all of you who left us a rating and review for our 100th podcast giveaway. It meant the world to Ilana and I, and we held back tears reading your thoughtful comments and feedbacks. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And congratulations to Jerrica who won our giveaway. Here's what she wrote. Whole Mamas Podcast has taken on health education for mamas from a well-rounded and extremely knowledgeable point of view. Whole Mamas gives so many wholehearted pearls of mama wisdom. Not only is it hosted by two highly qualified women and moms, a naturopathic doctor and a registered dietitian, but they discuss so many helpful topics that leave me excited for the next episode every week. The podcast leaves me as a new mom feeling empowered with the new tools I've learned to take care of my baby girl in a more healthy way. All I can say is thank you for this podcast. And if you're not listening to it, you are missing out. Thank you so much, Jerrica. If you want to review show notes from this episode, find past episodes, or leave comments and questions for future shows, head over to wholemamasclub.com forward slash podcast. And please remember that the views on this podcast are not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions, and are intended for general information purposes only. Now go on, have a great day, and nourish and nurture yourself and your family.